0: If you have your Bible, please, will you open it with me at Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55. Let's pray once again. teach us to hear even now as you speak through your word. Grant to us from heaven light in our darkness. Bless us in our need. Lift us up, O God, and show your favour toward us. Remind us of what it means to be blessed in Christ Jesus, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. If you're thirsty, here is something to slake your thirst and fully to refresh you. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. However poor you may be, whatever else you may lack, here is an offer of a feast. You can buy wine and milk without money and without price. Can you imagine today a supermarket opening its doors and saying, anybody who's struggling with the the cost of living, just come in and take whatever you want from the shelves. Go away, be satisfied and be full. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why are you investing in something that can never really satisfy you? Why are you running after the things of this world that will prove empty? Why are you chasing the bubbles that will just pop? Why are you eating the sawdust? Why are you uh, drinking the sand those things that this world offers will never really satisfy your soul. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. This is a call to the thirsty. This is an invitation to the poor. This is a cry to those who are hungry. This is an offer for those who are empty. So often even in terms of the things of this world if you describe somebody in this in these terms thirsty, poor, hungry and empty, they might be the people who are just dismissed. They may be the people who would say I am beneath care and I am beyond help. Not just that others may despise them, but they would think how will anybody ever look upon me with any kindness. And if you've been really thirsty, if you've been truly poor, if you've ever been genuinely hungry, if you've ever felt emptiness, not perhaps now so much with regard to your your wallet and your stomach, but with regard to your soul, then you may understand something of the appetite and the need that is being described here. And two such people, men, women, "'Boys and girls, a voice comes. "'Listen carefully to me and eat what is good "'and let your soul delight itself in abundance. "'Are you thirsty in the depths of your soul? "'Then I have water to refresh you. "'Are you so poor that you cannot offer anything "'for your own relief?' then I will bestow generously and graciously upon you. Are you starving for something that will actually satisfy your spirit? Then I have good food for you. Are you empty, having tried the things of this world to satisfy you? Then listen to me and let your soul delight itself in abundance. It's an earnest invitation That opening word, ho, everyone who thirsts, that's the water cellar in a dry, hot, dusty place. That's the person who's calling you in. I've got what you need. If you come to me, you may have it and you won't be charged for it. I myself will provide it. And such is the provision, such is the grant that I will give you that your soul will delight itself in abundance, that your heart will overflow with good things. Now, who speaks? And to what are you called? Incline your ear and come to me Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. The one who speaks here is God Himself. Isaiah was just a mouthpiece. I am simply the messenger this morning. But I'm not even speaking on Isaiah's behalf, I'm speaking on God's behalf. This is the language of God Himself. It's the speaking that we need to attend to first. Then we'll think think about the hearing. Then we'll consider the coming. And then we'll turn our attention to the blessing. The speaking is from God. The prophet now fades into the background. God himself, the Lord, is at the forefront. And he is speaking in love. There is power when God speaks. If you and I speak, we can accomplish nothing. If I make a declaration, I cannot bring it about. But the God of whom we read here, he is the one who at the beginning said, let there be light and there was light. And that is in the New Testament sometimes used as an illustration of the way that he brings light into the darkness of our souls. When God speaks, God can accomplish what God says he will do. And you'll notice here that he speaks not in judgments, but in Mercies. He sees the needs of these men and women and he says, I have what you need. I can provide that which you rely upon. And there is then truth here. Do you know anybody of whom you could say, I've never known them to even exaggerate? I've never known them to tell a fib never even known them to tell those. By the way, there is no such thing as a white lie. It's just a lie. But we tend to move it up and down a little bit in our scale, don't we? God is the God of truth. God has always spoken what is absolutely right and sure. And when God is speaking, shouldn't we be listening? When the God who has made us the God who is keeping us, the God who has given us life, breath, and all things, when that God has dealings with you and with me, especially considering our circumstances of thirst and poverty and hunger and emptiness, shouldn't we be listening? God stoops down to speak to the needy. People are amazed, aren't they, still, when the royal family actually sort of stop and hug someone. Usually it's all sort of out at a distance. The idea that somebody so high should stoop down to talk to commoners like us, a lot of people still find that quite astounding. Perhaps you know somebody. You're impressed by somebody. And once they spoke to you, they knew who I was. They they knew who... I remember a, a story about... Uh, Sinclair Ferguson told it. He was a golf fanatic uh, when he was growing up, and he's still a very good golfer. And uh, Sinclair Ferguson is a, is a well-known Christian preacher. And he took his son, I believe, to, to watch a golfer by the name of Tony Jacklin. Now, that'll only make sense to some of you of a certain age, but Tony Jacklin was the Tiger Woods of his day. And his son was into golf as well, and they were uh, standing by the green, and uh, apparently Tony Jacklin looked across and he looked like he was looking straight at Sinclair Ferguson. I remember Sinclair telling the story and nobody really understood why this was so impressive and he paused and he said, you don't seem to understand, these are the eyes into which the eyes of Tony Jacklin have looked. (laughs) And his son looked up at him He said, Dad, do you know him? No, son. No, that's probably the golfer's thousand-yard stare. He doesn't know me. He may be looking in our general direction, but there's no relationship there. There's no affection there. There's no connection there. The God of heaven is looking, and the God of heaven is speaking. And he's speaking to us, sinners, poor, hungry, thirsty, needy. And he speaks insistently and he speaks persuasively and he speaks with these compelling tones. Do you hear what the Lord says? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me hear, and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Do you hear the insistence? Do you hear the repetition? You need what I have and I am offering it to you. Come and listen to what I have to say. You might say to me, how can I be sure that the God of heaven and earth cares enough to speak to me this morning? This is the God who did not spare his own son. Christ Jesus came into the world from the Father. He came to suffer and to die in the place of sinners Like us, if you want to understand the matchless condescension of God, the loving kindness, the tender mercy, if you want to be confident that this is the true and living God and that He speaks to you in all your need and that what He says can be trusted and relied upon and taken as we say as gospel, then you need to go and see what Jesus Christ is and has done for the salvation of God's people. He is a God who is ready to bless. In fact, it is Jesus Christ, as we will see, who makes what God says so substantial and so sweet to us. This is God's own gospel declaration. Some of you know the word gospel means good news. This is God's good news from God's own Mouth. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. There is speaking, and it is God who speaks. And then there is hearing. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. Backing up, verse 2 Listen carefully to me and eat what is good this is god now urging you to listen to him now in the light of what we've already said you shouldn't need this should you but god himself is entreating god himself pleads and urges with you incline your ear and hear and what does it mean to incline your ear that means to bend It means to turn it means to stretch you sometimes see it today. What do people say? They cup their ear, don't they? And they, they turn around so that somebody can actually listen. Some preachers speak so softly, you can see the whole congregation moving forwards, turning slightly. Perhaps you look at the House of Commons. Ever seen a debate in the House of Commons? You think the MPs are asleep? They're not all of them asleep. They've got microphones in the back of the benches. So when they're sitting down and doing this, some of them are leaning in to listen to the voice coming out of the microphone that's being picked up by the microphone, uh, the, the uh, amplifier being picked up by the microphones there in the chamber. What are they doing? They're inclining their ears. They're bending over. They're turning in the right direction. Incline your ear, says God, and hear. Listen carefully pay close attention to what God has to say how do we do that well first of all by seeking it eagerly never miss an opportunity to sit under the word of God take every chance you can to hear God's word especially when it is preached perhaps some of you will come to church this week and this is it Perhaps some of you are here because it's a special occasion. We're delighted that you're here, but you may never expect to darken the door of a church building again in your life. Maybe a few weddings, maybe a few funerals. But if you understand that God speaks from this book, that God speaks through his appointed servants, then you will seek by all possible means to hear what God has to say. Don't rely on one of these. Don't sit at home, plug into a screen. God speaks through the word preached. Remember Psalm 84 that we read earlier? Where did the psalmist want to be? Where God makes himself known. Why? Because he'd lost his phone? No. Because that is where when God's people are gathered in God's presence and God speaks through the word of God, there is a blessing for our souls. And there is nothing that can replicate or replace being with God's people under God's word as the living God speaks his truth. My friend, make this your priority. If you haven't done so already, fight Beg, steal, well, no, don't do all of those things. Um, (laughs) Whatever it takes, (laughs) legitimately and righteously, to get here Sunday morning, Sunday evening, come to hear God. Seek it eagerly. And then attend closely. Give your whole attention to the word of God. I'm going to help you now. You may not be struggling, but I am. It's warm in here. There's plenty of moisture in the air. But give your whole attention. Come alert and engaged. Get a bit of oxygen into your lungs. If you need to go for a walk beforehand, do that. If you need to pray and go to bed early on a Saturday evening, but come and come with the intention of hearing what God has to say prayerfully. Come to drink in the truth. Now, you understand that I'm not saying that I am a great preacher and therefore you need to listen to me. What I'm saying is we have a great God and a great gospel, and whoever preaches that gospel, you ought to be eager to receive it. And your ears should be open and your head should be inclined. So rather than any, and there's no one doing it at the moment, I'm not having a pot, but the slump or the hair over the face or, the, oh, I really don't want to be here. No, God speaks. And when God speaks, I want my whole soul committed to hearing. And then I want to take him seriously how quickly some of the things that we hear disappear from our minds within moments. Even at the end of a service like this, as we hear the word of God, as we celebrate the salvation of a sinner, as we baptise them in obedience to Christ's commandment, and then, oh, oh, and then we've got to meet our friends, and then we've got to get the food ready, and then we're going to eat and drink, and then we've got to get ready for the evenings. My friends, God has spoken. When God speaks... We listen and we should stop and we should meditate and we should ponder. Why? Because my soul is in the balance and God's glory is at stake. If we were at the height of a pandemic and I were telling you about the medicine that would deliver you from death, would you pay attention? If I were a doctor and you'd come to find out about a disease from which you could be cured, would you pay attention? If I were a lawyer and I were reading the will of your recently deceased multi-billionaire uncle, would you be paying attention? If God speaks... And says, I have food for your hungry soul. I have water for your thirsty spirit. I have life for you in death. I have heaven for you rather than hell. Don't these spiritual and eternal things demand that we should pause, ponder, consider? Satan doesn't want you to listen. All the distractions and all the demands of this world, he will drive those away. The Lord Jesus used an illustration of the birds of the air coming down to take away the seed that had been sown. Those distractions, they're not incidental or accidental. You need to hold on to the truth that you hear. And you need to trust readily. I'm not asking you to trust me I'm asking you to trust the God on whose behalf I speak. I am trustworthy only in so far as I speak the word of God. It is the Lord who says, incline your ear and come to me hear, and your soul shall live. Can you take God at his word? Think about what you'll be saying if your answer to that question is no. Can you take the living and true God at his word? The God who has made heaven and earth and everything that is in it. The God who has made you, who upholds you now as you sit here. The God who's given you ears for hearing and a heart for feeling and a mind for processing. Are you going to sit in judgment this morning upon God? Are you going to set this to one side? Are you going to deny God the hearing to which he is entitled? What's the proper response when God speaks? To take it with the utmost seriousness and to trust him entirely. What God says I can rely upon. Isn't that refreshing to you? I can rely upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't have to second guess. I don't have to double check. I don't need to Google it just to see whether or not it's speaking the truth. I don't need to compare the statistics and see who's making them mean one thing or another. God speaks. And I can take him at his word. Face value. And I need to obey entirely. To take it without exception. Not to pick and to choose. Every promise that he makes. I rely upon every command that he gives. I ought to follow and I ought to live accordingly. And that includes what God says here. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. There is then the speaking. It is the living God who declares these things to you this morning. There's the hearing that we ought to give in response. Understanding who it is who speaks and what it he says. And you notice now there is a response if we are hearing properly. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. This is what the hearing heart does when God speaks. It comes to him and it finds life. Our Lord Jesus said something absolutely glorious when he was uh, about to start. Well, he was beginning to pray as it's recorded in John chapter 17. As he comes toward the end of his earthly life, as he's about to lay down his life for the, uh, the salvation of his people, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is life? Life is knowing God. Not just knowing about God, but knowing God as God and your God. Coming to him that you may have life. And you come to him by Jesus Christ. Christ describes himself as the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through him. And if you come to God as God offers himself here, incline your ear and come. Listen to what I have to say and come to me. Hear, listen carefully to what I've got to say and your soul shall live. God is life. And to have God in Christ is to have life and to have it everlastingly. The Bible describes us. It's this thirstiness. It's this poverty. It's this hunger. It's this emptiness. It is spiritual death. And God himself is life. Isn't that wonderful? Not just that God gives you life, but that God himself is life. And to have God is to have life and to walk then in the light. And so when we hear God speak, if you are hearing God this morning, if you are beginning to understand not just the need that is in you, but the mercy that is in God, you come with humility, without boasting. You're thirsty. You're hungry. You've got nothing to offer. You've got nothing to trade with. You've tried everything else, and it's left you starving and parched. God says, Come to me, and I will give what I have to you. Now you can't come boasting, can you? You can't come paying. You might reach into your pocket and see if there's no there's absolutely nothing. You come you know, it's cartoon style, the pockets are pulled out and they're empty. You have nothing to offer yourself, but God offers Himself to you. That, my friends, is called mercy. It is God bestowing upon us what we could never deserve and that for which we can never make a payment. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What does the Lord mean there? I myself have provided. See, the salvation that is free to me and to you comes at a great price, but it's not paid by us. God himself provides, as we shall see. You come in repentance. What does repentance mean? Look down at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. You cannot come to God clinging to your sins. You cannot come to God, as it were, with your, with your bucket of sawdust and say, whatever you've got to offer, I want to eat what the world offers to you come to God realising that you've been pursuing the wrong thing and going in the wrong direction and seeking satisfaction in all the wrong places. And you come confessing your sins and saying, that's not the way I want to think anymore. That is not the way I will think. That is not the way I want to live. That's what Christians have done. They've, they've come face to face because God has told us that our sins are vile and foul and damnable, that we deserve condemnation. And it's not just that we hate the fact that our sins are going to be punished. We've learned to hate our sins. We've seen them in the light of God's holiness and the things that have made us now guilty and ashamed and feel foul. If you're here this morning and your conscience is afflicted and crippled and you think, oh God, if anybody here knew what I was like... God already knows God says turn from your sins leave behind your unrighteousness turn your back upon that which is displeasing to me and foul in itself and come to me and come in faith God will have mercy on you God will abundantly pardon if you're a Christian do you know that do you feel that God has put away your sin. God has made you clean and whole. And God will do the same to you today if you come to him. He will take away all your transgressions. He will wash you and he will make you clean. And there's not a single stain that will remain. Why? Because God speaks truth. And God is faithful. God himself says, you come back to me. And I will have mercy on you. Come to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Come in prayer. Sometimes people say, how do I come? What -what does that mean? What does it look like? And it's very simplest. It's asking God to be true to his word. Lord, you have said that if I seek you while you may be found that you will have mercy. Have mercy upon me. Some of you will know the story of the, the tax collector and the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prayed with himself. His prayer was like a boomerang. Lord, I thank you, I'm such a great person. I thank you that I've done everything that you require and then some. I thank you that I'm not like other people. That man went home, as wretched and as foul in his soul as he'd ever been. The other man knew himself to be a great sinner, and he would not even so much as lift his eyes to heaven, but he cried out, beating his breast, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If that's all you know to say, then remember to whom you come. God, this God, ready to save, ready to bless, ready to pardon, Ready to show mercy. And come in hope. Trust Him. Perhaps you'll hear this morning and say, but, but, but I have come. If you have, then you're saved. I cried out, then the Lord has heard you. How do you know? Because He promises. But I don't feel any different. Do you believe what God has said? Being converted doesn't necessarily mean there's sort of a great explosion of lights. It does mean this, that you put your faith in the God of the Bible and in the Christ whom he has provided. And if you have called upon him for salvation, he saves, he blesses, he takes away sin. And I would come now, this very moment. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go home. You don't have to to think any more about it in one sense. God says, come and I will save. Why would you wait? You ever known a thirsty man say about a glass of water? No, give me another week or two and then maybe. Someone who says they're starving, who's offered a rich feast and says, I'm not sure I really want that now. Somebody desperately poor. Who's offered relief. Relief. Somebody who's tried everything else has found it wasted, empty, and pointless. Now you're offered fullness, delight for your soul, the salvation of your sins, peace with God, joy in the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the saints, the life that is in God Himself. Why would you wait? Why would you delay? Why would you hold back? God says now, incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. There's life for the asking of God's own word. God reconciled. And what is the blessing? I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. God is now assuring us, this is what this life is. Means. This is the provision that God has made. God acts in a God like way with us. Here is a sure covenant that has been cut. That's the original language. You you cut a covenant. What is this covenant? What is this gracious promise that God has made? What are the dealings that God will have with those who come to him? What does this life really mean? What does it look like? God says, it is the sure mercies of David. One commentator translates this as the trustworthy loves of David. Now, why is that significant? Because God had promised that he would bless his servant David, that he would give him as a king, and that there would be a king like David who would rule over God's people forever and forever. So in Psalm 89... I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So God has his David. God has his king and that king will rule and that king will rule in a kingdom which cannot end. That king will rule and there will be blessing and there will be favour and there will be joy and there will be peace under his government. Isaiah himself speaks about the one who will come. He declares the king who will stand. He tells us what we are looking forward to. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Listen, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The sure mercies of David. That's what God calls you into. That's what God holds out for you. That's what God is providing in Jesus Christ. It is sure in its offer, sure mercies, sure in its application. You will receive them. Sure in its comforts. These things will bless your soul abundantly. And in whom is this covenant cut? It is cut with Jesus Christ. You see, he is the surety. He's the guarantor of the new covenant. He is the promised king of David's line. He is the seed that God has said would come. He is the one who rules in a kingdom of blessing that will never end. And God says, if you come to me, your soul shall live You shall come into the covenant that I make with great David's greater son. Your soul shall live in me and you will prosper under the care of my great shepherd. You will participate in everything that I provide in my David, Jesus the Christ. Everything is laid up in him. Do you understand now where I said, why I said not only does Christ give these words their substance in the sense of knowing the God who speaks? But Christ gives these words their substance in that it is Christ himself of whom God is speaking. I will bring you to me. I will put you in the kingdom of my son, Jesus Christ. I will bring you in and all of the blessings that I have established in and for my David-like king. They will be yours. Hear. Incline your ear. Listen carefully. And come to me, says God. He has spoken. This is not a fairy story. This is not a nonsense. This is the word of the living God. Have you heard? Not just have you had to sit here while someone tells you what God has said, but have you understood that the God of heaven has spoken to you this morning and has offered you life in himself through Jesus Christ, his King, his Saviour? Will you come? Not just listen, but turn to me. Leave your sins, leave your transgressions. Leave the emptinesses, the wildnesses, the vulgarities, the disappointments, the griefs of this fallen world. Come to God by Jesus Christ and he will bless you. God does not turn away those who call upon him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What we're about to do as Mapesha is baptised is not a testimony that she found a way to stop herself being hungry. That she found a broken system. In this world that finally managed to slake her thirst. that She found riches somewhere in the depths of her soul. that She was able to satisfy herself. You can read her testimony. If you haven't done so, there are copies on the board between the two doors on your way out here. I would encourage you to do so. Because it's the testimony of a sinner who heard God speak. It's the testimony of a sinner who found in Christ all that she needs, ever will need, ever did need, ever can need. It's the testimony that her sins have been washed away. She has forsaken her wicked ways. She's turned her back upon her unrighteous thoughts and she has come to God. And what we do now doesn't make Mapesho a Christian. What it does is testify that God has spoken, that she has heard, that God in his grace has drawn her to himself and that she has come, and that God has blessed her and has given her the sure mercies of David, the things that have been provided in Jesus Christ so that she may not die but live And enjoy that life that is in God. The life of God in her soul. The sure mercies of David. That everlasting covenant. And you may have it too. Listen to God. Turn to him. Trust in Jesus Christ. Come to God by way of his appointed deliverer. And you too shall have this life And your soul shall delight itself in divine abundance. Amen.